papers. We, we'll get to the papers <laughs> in a moment, but uh, we're joined by uh, Fine Gael, former Fine Gael strategist Frank Flannery, uh, the, the co-leader of the Social Democrats, Roisin Shortall, and uh, David Leach of Goal, uh, former General Secretary of the Labour Party. Uh, as I say, we'll get to the papers uh, in a moment. Uh, Frank Flannery, your, 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 your thoughts on, on the passing of, of Terry Wogan? Oh, yeah, I... Quite, I, it was unexpected to me. I don't know whether I was unique in that. I had no idea at all no, that I, he I, was. M- uh, most of us didn't. I think. That he was in such a serious place. Um, I spent a great deal of time in the UK from 1990 onwards, and um, Terry Wogan was a very iconic figure. That is for sure. He when, had when his it own. Came to, when it came to radio broadcasting, yeah, he, he was had, the man. He had, wasn't he he had yeah. his own style. It was absolutely superb. Marty, they were talking about the way he treated, placed and even defined Eurovision was just uh, enormously entertaining for an awful lot of people while of course it may have irritated other people. Sometimes I think our newfound irritation with Eurovision We don't win anymore. Yeah, we're coming last (laughs) most of the time. If we could even qualify for the finals now it's some kind of a national celebration. But but Terry was wonderful. He, He was and he maintained that quintessential Irishness right through everything. His entire career spanned the entire era of what we call the Troubles, those terrible years, mm. a lot of whom were really bad and really... Harsh. And he, his uh, presence, I think, there helped in preventing um, paranoia breaking out or, or racial antagonism breaking up in England and Ireland to a much greater degree than, say, it might have emerged at the time. I think he was a very healthy very strong, powerful, uh, iconic kind of presence there of a of a special sort in that popular entertainment form. Uh, that self-deprecating, not taken seriously, but really serious presence as well. So I'm really, really sorry that he's passed. Okay. Uh, Roisin Shortall. Yeah, it's certainly very sad news this morning. Um, Terry Wogan was a huge figure in broadcasting and, you know, undoubtedly the best known Irish voice, I think, in UK radio. And he had a huge following over many, many decades. I think he had a number of really strong attributes. He was a very bright guy, I think. Um, he There was great depth to him and he was always extremely professional, I think. And at the same time, he was able to, you know, send himself up and, as you say, was self-deprecating. And I think that was the attraction about him. Uh, in spite of his fame and the fact that he, you know, rose to such heights in the UK, I think he never lost the run of himself. And that was the secret. Mm-hmm. Do you know, he always kept his feet on the ground. And certainly in relation to Eurovision, I think that we <laughs> knew him best for here in this country and the fact that he used to be able to send it up so well and make <laughs> what would otherwise be quite a, a, a difficult programme, very entertaining, I yeah. think, for a lot of us. So he will be sadly missed. And But his contribution has been enormous, I think. Uh, David, just be- before we come to you, just uh, some reaction uh, coming in. Uh, President Michael D. Higgins said the broadcaster had made a distinguished contribution to television and in particular to the medium of radio. People in Ireland will remember his early career in Irish broadcasting. On his move to Britain, his voice became one of the most often quoted favourite radio voices. 
Always proud of his origins in Limerick, he made many returns to his native country for television and radio projects. His rise to the top of radio listenership in the United Kingdom was a great tribute to his breadth of knowledge and in particular his unique, very personal sense of humour. The British Prime Minister David Cameron has also released a statement. I grew up listening to him on the radio and watching him on TV. His charm and wit always made me smile. My thoughts are with Terry Wogan's family. Britain has lost a huge talent, someone millions came to feel was their own special friend. Um, David Leach, interesting, because we were just chatting about this before we came on air, and, and you made the point, his achievement in, in making that leap from Irish broadcasting to to British broadcasting and being accepted kind of as, well, he was pretty much king of British radio. Uh, it wasn't That was an extraordinary achievement. By it, was, it was extraordinary at, a t- at, the, at the time, because if you think about it, it was a tribute t- to him, obviously, to that he made that breakthrough in the 70s and 80s when, you know, the height of the troubles and when things were bad. But he was also kind of sim- symbolic of something else, which I've often felt, and I think a lot of people around the table will and listening will be familiar with England and, you know, have a lot of relatives in England. The British people, the English people, are terribly welcoming people, you know, and and despite the utmost provocation at the time of the troubles, they still welcomed him. There's and a he tolerance and a fair It's, incre- it's in incredible, really. Society, I mean, when fairness, you yeah. think of the, the bombings that were going on in the 70s and 80s, and unfortunately, ordinary English people being, in many cases, caught up in them and their lives disrupted by them. Um, and that an Irishman would meet at the top, and particularly a Limerickman. It's important to say that uh, he was very proud of his roots in Limerick and yeah. the people of Limerick in particular. I think will feel his loss that he was, he never forgot that he was from Limerick, even though, even when he was in London, you know. Okay. All right. Uh, you're listening to the Sunday show. If you've just joined us, very sad news uh, with the, uh, the passing of uh, broadcasting legend uh, Terry Wogan. Uh, we're going to be uh, going through the Sunday papers though after this short break Welcome back to the Sunday show Shane Coleman with you until noon today now as we were we were talking before the break about the sad passing of Terry Wogan uh, the BBC Director General Tony Hall uh, described him as a national treasure in a statement uh, he released this morning uh, today we've lost a wonderful friend Hall said he was a lovely lovely man our thoughts are with his wife and family for 50 years Terry graced our screens and airwaves his warmth wit and geniality meant that for millions he was a part of the family uh, we'll be getting more reaction on the uh, the passing of Terry Wogan a little later in the programme. Uh, I do want to bring you the uh, the headlines of the Sunday papers. Obviously, none of the papers, uh, they all went to, to bed before uh, this news came through. It really only came through in the last uh, hour or so. Uh, the Sunday Independent leads with interesting story. Coalition at war on election days. Alan Kelly declares ambition and says, I'm my own boss. Who, who would have thought it? Uh, Taoiseach <laughs> Enda Kenny is facing an extraordinary standoff with Environment Minister Alan Kelly mm. over the general election days. Apparently, Labour basically want it on a Friday, Friday, February 26th. Uh, but Fine Gael wants the election to take place a day before on Thursday. That's to allow party voters, uh, to, to um, or party supporters to vote and then travel to a Six Nations rugby match. You kind of get to feel only Fine Gael will be worried about Six Nations rugby match being on. Uh, the Sunday Times, we'll come, definitely come back to that in a moment. The Sunday Times leads with Kenny threat to pull out of RTE debate. And Kenny and Joan Burton may pull out of the most high profile televised debate in general election if the leaders of the five opposition parties are granted equal time with the Taoiseach and the Taunashta again. We'll come back to that in a moment. Sunday Business Post leads with Drum, the real story behind NAMA and the banking inquiry. I'm willing to come home. Banker tells DPP in new letter. That's uh, David Drum, of course. He's made a written offer, apparently, to the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions last week to fly home immediately as new notes reveal claims by the banker about NAMA. Um, the Irish Mail on Sunday, secret Fine Gael poll, 
why Larry's vote will be crucial. Coalition predicted to come within two seats of majority. That's a story by John Lee. And I think probably the headline of the day, bonking inquiry, the Sunday world. We reveal how the end of austerity sparks new boom in vice trade in small town Ireland. Um, they've also got four Ben and Holly books for you. Uh, start your collection today on the front of the Sunday world. Um, Frank Flannery, um, is there, what do you make of this? There, there, is, is it, is there a row going on between Fine Gael and Labour over the election days? Would it would it make that big a difference? The um, the the men in sheepskin coats going over to the match in Twickenham on, on, the, on the Friday morning. Astounded from time to time, not always astounded, but from time to time I'm astounded at the the material which forms a Sunday Independent front page headline. Yeah, it's this, quite astounding. But this this has a ring of truth about it, this story. It, yeah. I don't it know. It definitely does. I mean, I no uh, they've talked to Alan Kelly and, and, and people in Labour saying, we want it on a Friday. And and that word has did come true about Fine Gael concerns about uh, at, at, at Friday I election day because of the match in Twickenham. And the, the joke was that Owen Murphy would lose 5,000 votes in, <laughs> in, in Dublin Bay South. He probably could afford to lose them. <laughs> and still get elected, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I, I don't know at all. Uh, I, 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 I've heard in the past, elections have been held on Thursdays regularly and they've also been held on Fridays. Yeah, the last past. one was Friday. I've never 2007 heard, was a Thursday. I've never heard a huge say. argument about it, quite frankly. If people do travel out of Dublin, most people now have transferred their votes to where they're living because there was a huge effort made to tidy up the register. Yeah, which is, in the which old hasn't day, worked in at the all. In the old days, it has worked to a, a very... a million too many people on it the It has register. worked to a significant extent. It's been worked on all of the time. So generally if people are living in Dublin if, say for, this is supposed to reference people who are from the country and are now in Dublin with their job in Dublin so they go home to vote. That was an old fashioned thing. I don't know how big it is now however I would have thought uh, I mean that's for the Taoiseach and if Alan Kelly is playing himself into that decision, uh, fair enough um, it, it, it's uh, people who travel vote for different people everyone going to Tipperary would not be voting for Alan there, Kelly there I can be, assure you there, that. Be, no, there, frankly, be a perception there are some that. other candidates down there who will also attract some votes uh, you reject the stereotype then of the uh, that 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 many people going to Twickenham would be uh, classic Finnegan. Oh, I don't know anything it. about the Twickenham thing. <laughs> I'm not don't tend to go to Twickenham myself. Uh, it, it, it's just a, and if you have your election, uh, I would have thought more maybe. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have thought that is an element of relevance whatsoever to people voting in an election. It's up to the Taoiseach to get on. When he decides, there's an assumption this election is going to be on either there for 25th, 26th of February. The Taoiseach is giving no indication of that whatsoever. Okay, okay. It, it could easy, just as easily happen in the first week in March. Roisin, do you care whether it's a Thursday or a Friday? Well, I think it would be better to have it as a Friday. But Shane, I think, you know, there's an overriding point to be made about the Sunday papers. I think the the um, government spin machine is in overdrive at the moment. And Frank would be familiar with this kind of tactic that's used. <laughs> we're, we're on the cusp of uh, an election campaign. There are huge problems within the country. There's a crisis in health. There's a housing emergency. There are big issues that arose during the week in relation to the banking inquiry and also the kind of fantasy economics that Michael Noonan was engaged in where he discovered these pots of gold everywhere and there's all these billions and billions to spend, which which are absolute fantasy. And, you know... (laughs) People want to hear about these things, the real issues. But the government 
you know, starts these kind of phony wars and we get into talking about the numbers game and who wants it on a Friday and the match in Twickenham and all that kind of thing. And it's a major distraction from the real issues, in my view. Mm. So, you know, there's very substantial issues that really the paper should be analysing. And in fairness, some of them are doing that. But the government, you know, has mm. done its best to get the fluff onto the front pages. OK. And, you know, and we're, we're going to run we're going to run with that fluff for a little bit longer. David Leach, in a, in a different life, you would have been uh, you would have been obsessing about these things the days of the election and private polls and all that I kind of stuff. I might even have been spinning to the newspapers. <laughs> you may even have um, but uh, the, this government, um, you know, the, 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 the Sunday Independent engaging in fluff on its front page far predates um, this government or any other government well, for that matter. To be fair, it, it looks like a story that's, that's grounded in, in, a, in a genuine dispute between the I two I think parties. two things. I think, first of all, the Taoiseach... Um, it's his prerogative when the election is called. End of story. That's that's clearly his prerogative. I think it'll be Friday. It'll, it'll be Friday, the twenty sixth of February. I think, as your colleague Ivan Yates said during the week, that he was far more concerned with busloads of students going back to Mayo to vote um, rather than a few lads going off to Twickenham to a match. Mm. Um, I think that that'll that'll inform his his judgment. Um, it's probably important to say, Frank, that while the you know the, the person working in Dublin and going home to vote may have diminished, the amount of students that we have now in colleges is yes. gone way up in the last. I mean, when I right. went to UCC yeah. a long time ago in 1989, there were 6,000 students. Now there are over 20,000 students, and that kind of growth in student numbers um, would be reflected across all the institutions. And there are more institutions, so I mean, those mm. people yeah. should be entitled. Well, to was vote. that UCC tracksuit you're wearing? Is that was that from your time at UCC? No, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but that, that, that's a fair point that David makes there. Certainly there was a huge drive uh, for the marriage equality referendum mm. and very large numbers of students are registered in the place where they're studying. And, you know, they'll that's presumably point, yes. come out on the Thursday I, I would, as well. I would tend to agree with that point as well. Um, whether or not all of those students will be voting for the Labour Party remains yeah, to be seen. Of course they it, There's no huge mm-hmm. advantage, I think, necessarily to Labour or to Fine Gael or to... Uh, been a fall or to any of the other parties, I think it's a, but it's a practical decision. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even a, a, sure. A conspiracy I'm theorist would say Fine Gael, uh, the government parties might prefer it on a Thursday because students are, are less likely to vote for the establishment parties. Well, that's a value judgment as well. Uh, the students, generally speaking, are less likely to vote. If you look at the demographics mm. of voters, 18 to 24 is the lowest percentage-wise. Uh, and I think that applies whether it's a Thursday or a Friday. So it, it's a lo- it's a theoretical issue. Let them sort it out. It's a rather ridiculous thing to be worrying about, actually. Yeah. Actually, I think we need to be moving beyond just talking about a Friday. You know, yes, why yes, can't yes. we have an election run over two days that accommodates people who are, you know, working nights mm-hmm. or working away from home? You know, it's, really? it's good practice. Yeah. I mean, is it that big a deal to go and vote? Well, I mean, why, in the States, why? for example, they have early voting for, for, for a long time in advance of polling day. And it's hugely, it's hugely popular and yeah. it's, it's hugely important. I mean, we can be a little in this country country, you know, a bit self-satisfied that our, our voting numbers, you know, as against other countries are quite high. But I mean, we should be trying to enfranchise as many people as we possibly can. Early voting is allowed in Britain through postal voting. It's allowed in the States and encouraged quite a lot. Why wouldn't we encourage it? I think that, I mean, we don't have postal votes as well in the same way as mm. they have in Britain or in the States. It's much and more that difficult to get a postal vote. It's yeah. hugely yes. difficult. Yes. Yeah. From 8 o'clock or something until 10 o'clock at night. I mean, well, 7 to 10. 7 to 10. 7 I mean, that's 10. a fairly big uh, window if you can yeah, manage but if you're, to vote. If, but 
mean, a lot of people would work work away. They could be you could be away for business. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, the, one of the busiest aircraft routes in the world is between Dublin and London. People are going over and back all day. If you were away for that day for whatever reason, for sick, for illness, mm. for holiday, mm. or whatever, you're disenfranchised. It makes no sense. But I don't. I don't see what the sense but of there that is. is. There is no reason why that concept of postal vote and in the modern era now of modern communications, a location should not be. Uh, so vote critical provided you can have reasonable security Mm. in the process and that is not impossible so I think that's an area that should be looked at rather than just you know, obsessing about a day here yeah, or a yeah. few hours there. All right, let, let's we, move on we, from the days. Uh, poll, yeah. poll figures, the Sunday business polls, they're tracking uh, poll Red Sea. Yeah. Um, from, from memory, uh, it's F- Fine Gael 29, yeah. uh, Fianna Fáil 17, Sinn Féin 19, Labour at 10%. 10, 10, yeah. um, I, I'm just wondering about these polls. I mean, does anyone believe Sinn Féin are going to win more seats than Fianna Fáil, for example? Because I haven't met anyone who does. Um, and yet polls show them uh, c- continually ahead of, of uh, Fianna Fáil. Well, th- they've, been, they've been running very much together. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the poll of polls, which gathers, th- there are about six polling companies now at work. And uh, they all poll regularly enough. So the best way to get a feel for polling is when you every month you put the six together. And in that poll of polls, for about the last six months, um, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin are running neck and neck. They're about 19 each, which is very, very interesting. The other thing which is amazing is there's been virtually no material change in anybody's Incredibly fortunes. stable. I mean, this a, is all margin of error stuff. A little bit of yeah. a shift to Fine Gael over the period. But that's, but every, seems, that's tapered off now. I know, I mean. but at a level 30, they started the process back around 24. Fine Gael have moved up. And the rest have largely found their positioning. Now, I do believe that's going to change now that a real campaign is starting. This poll, um, today's Sunday Business Post poll, uh, which is Red Sea poll again, is uh, is in that model exactly. Um, it, virtually no material change. Uh, the campaign, as regards that, probably hasn't really started yet. Uh, but but nonetheless, and but people are coming in with quite a settled view. The other thing, Red the Sea, government can't be re-elected on those figures, though. On on those figures of today's poll, the government would not be re-elected, not at all. But we have the campaign to fight yet, mm. so we'll see. That's what that's what election campaigns about. So I, but I think going into this election, there is a, a lot of seriousness in the public. I, I think those who. Who, who? I think there will be a good turnout. I expect a lot of participation. It's extremely important election for the future of the country, and I think that's the way it will be played. And it'll be very interesting to see how it goes. But for six months, there has been a very steady and stable, mm. except for the one thing: the, the others' category tended to go down, and the Fine Gael category tended to go up. But everything else remained very, very solid, very stable. And so the real battle now begins and people make their arguments. And I think the public have very, very interesting key decisions to make. I'm sure they will go out to vote. There will be good turnout no matter what day it is. And I think it will be very, very fascinating and interesting mm. election. Uh, David Leach, what, uh, la- better news for Labour. I mean, it is margin of error stuff, we should say, but around 10%. I mean, that's, that would get, presumably that would get Labour around 15, 16 seats if, if they were to, to, to get that. Well, I mean, um, 
well, first of all, to state that, yeah, 10% would give you, could give you 15 seats. Now, the, the government parties will both have a much more difficult job of gaining seats with their, with their votes than they had on the last occasion. If you recall, um, Fine Gael got 76 seats with 36% of the vote. You know, 36% of the seats. Yes. So, I mean, they would have been entitled to about 55 seats, realistically 56 seats, purely on their proportionate. Similarly, Labour with 19.4% of the vote got 37 seats and they would have been entitled to 32, maybe 31 one seats mm. strictly by proportion of the vote so you would imagine that the same level of transfers won't come into them from independents there are more parties on the, you know in, in amongst the others there's a bigger proportion of others they'll go to each other before they'll come back to the governing parties they may stick to being anti-government so the sa- even the same vote wouldn't buy them the same number of seats so while Labour previously 10% is the traditional level of support for Labour we got it in 97 2002 and 2007 um it won't buy us 20 seats as it did then, I think. You know, it, you know obviously there's less, less, seats, less in the seats, seats in the doll yeah. for a start. But even then, I think we'd be working harder potentially to get the same, to get proportionately the same number of seats because the transfers at that time, um, you know, a lot of Sinn Féin transfers, a lot of far left transfers would have been coming mm. into us, independent candidates transfers that won't be coming in on this on this occasion. So it'll make life a little bit more difficult. Can I make one point on Paul Shin? Yeah. And everyone's going to dismiss the point I'm going to make immediately. Okay. And um, but I want to make it the point just so that I've said it. In the British general election, consistently for twelve months, pollsters said that Labour and the Tories were at thirty-three, thirty-four each. Hung Parliament, hung Parliament country. No one thought any different, and people, you know, nearly crashed their cars and their jaws dropped on the night of the exit poll when it was clear that in fact the Tories had gained thirty-seven percent of the vote and the Labour Party thirty percent of the vote. And was that because? that the polls got it wrong or was it a late shift in It is clear sentiment? from research done by the polling companies that the polling companies got it wrong that they were not sampling enough Tory voters that they were not looking hard enough for Tory voters that they oversampled Labour voters it is quite clear that is what happened And do you think that is happening here and to come back to my point I mean well, I, to, nobody in the nobody in politics if you talk to any of the strategists privately believe that Fianna Fáil will be on 17% nationally um, nor do they believe Sinn Féin will be at 19% nationally but that's what the polls are, are, are regularly showing Yes, well first of all to finish the point in the Israeli election subsequently exactly the same thing happened between the Labour-led opposition and Netanyahu's Likud party. So bad were the polls that Netanyahu lost his reason on the morning of the election and went over the top in appealing for people to come out, um, you know, because of the danger of a hung parliament. Similar methodology, similar, I know it's a very different electorate, but similar problems, okay? So we need to be very clear that there's the potential there for that to be wrong. In terms of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, we spent the whole of 2011 and 2010 previous thing. Ash, there's no, re- no way Fianna Fáil could be on 17%. That's not going to happen. And it happened. And Yeah, mind you, the exit poll had them at 15% they on, had, on, on the morning. For and, the exactly and, the same sort of reasons. And the exit poll had them at 21% in the local elections and they ended up at 25%. For exactly the same sort of reasons as the polls yeah. in Britain were wrong in the election. Okay, um, Roshan Shuttle, the way this is shaping up, uh, you'll have to be polishing up your um, your list of, of demands to go, to go into government with, with Fine Gael and Labour and maybe even Renew as well. That's not really the kind of business we're in, Shane, I that's have sure. to say. That's the business of politics, of well, course that's look, the business it's, you're in. It's 
we don't see it as a numbers game, really, you know. But it is. Um, well, look, I think we have to stop thinking about politics in those terms and try and concentrate a bit more on the policies and what different parties actually stand for. No, I'll, and, and I'll get to that. I think your party deserves credit for being the only one that says we're not going to touch USC. I think that I think there's big credibility uh, about that. But... It is politics. Ultimately, is a numbers game. I mean, would you be willing to go into government with Fine Gael and, and Labour well, if look, if you're three or four, or whatever you you get? You'll obviously say you're going to get a lot more uh, if you're if that number of TDs is required to make up a government. As Frank said earlier, the campaign hasn't started yet. People haven't started to focus on who they're going to vote for. The Red Sea poll, okay, it's fine. It shows us trends, but there can be huge shifts in the course of a campaign itself. I just smiled yesterday when Brendan Howland announced that the next. Taoiseach was going to be under Kenny <laughs> before a vote had been cast. I mean, the elec- this election is wide open. Is that, that's a dan- that is a dangerous game, isn't it? For, for it is the a dangerous game. Uh, the coronation, and, and I mean, as Micheál Martin uh, the, the presumption it. of that that, <laughs> that uh, he's almost certainly Brendan right. Brendan is, is telling us how people are going to vote and what the outcome of the election is going to be. Look, Fine Gael are the biggest party in the polls at the moment. They're on twenty nine percent. There has been movement between independents and smaller parties and. Fine Gael um, a bit of movement back and forth and it's you know the, the independents and smaller parties are up 2% today Fine Gael is down 1% but you know the fundamental point is that Fine Gael are on 29% they may be the biggest party but 71% of people reject the kind of politics that Fine Gael is offering 71% of people in this country are saying no to Enda Kenny and Fine Gael now that means the thing is wide open you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that Fine Gael are going to be in government. Well, there it, could be, it kind there, of is, isn't well, it? Well, it's not. You see, it's not. And the more people say that and government parties want us to think that the election is o- over, the people are sovereign. The people will decide who will form the next government. And after the election, when the votes are cast, then we'll see what the situation is and we'll see what parties will make up the next yeah. government. Right. But it's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, so not, let's stop saying um, that. I totally agree with Virgin, by the way. Uh, I do agree with her general analysis and those specific points. But you made. do think it's inevitable, and again, we'll be back as Taoiseach. Not at all. I think there's no absolute inevitability about anything. Uh, the the Labour Fine Gael uh, gathering of, of votes, it, which is the government, government going for re election, is standing, give or take, around 40% of the polls. To actually get elected, they need to push that up five, five or 6%. Between the two of them, and then they've got to get reasonable efficiency in how the vote works. Mm. And David pointed out some very interesting points there. Efficiency will be different this time than previously. Uh, but I, I totally agree, though, that there needs, there is, and there will be a massive debate here. Uh, I think the government has a really good case to make, but they really have to make it in a very effective way. They have to get their get their out. their standing is that um, this country needs stability and continuity and the maintenance of the recovery more than any other single thing Mm. that's where the essence of it is not not very stable they can't even agree on a generation precisely they have to act and look like a government they have to campaign like a government 
they have to have as much common ground as they can muster but, without denying themselves their individual but, but Frank, party. It, it's not very stable if Michael Noonan is promising to, to spend 12 billion euro and he's been told by the Economic Council that, no, sorry, there's only about 3 billion euro. I mean, we're back into the territory of that, auction politics and pre-election promises. No, not, not quite there And yet. I don't think people so are going to are, be fooled there are, by that there again. Are, there are dangerous tendencies towards auction politics, so already. But I think the experience of the past and particularly the experience of the disastrous mishandling of the last boom time and Ireland It looks like had, we're back into that uh, kind of territory we're again. Not, I think the government, Fine Gael and Labour and it is very important that people like Michael Noonan and um, Brendan Howland maintain a very cool, calm and steady perspective. They have a good economic strategy. Work so far, yeah, broad island, a tremendous way forward. He's talking, about, he's talking about getting rid of USC. I mean, that's the biggest election promise given I think in the oh, history now, of the state. Over he's five talking, years. He's talking about ramping up spending. Let's not forget, Shane. And a rainy day fund. Let's not forget, Shane. USC was... A, a very harsh, hard emergency. No, 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 but let's not get bogged down in Emergency thing was brought in to deal with the crisis. It is right and fair that that be taken back out of our taxation model because it was never part you of see, it until uh, the crisis. We're back into this territory now, of that. Of, does of not, of that just one voice, that, Frank, and, and then that, I'll let you. That does it. not mean to say that the government hasn't an entirely sober and steady and consistent uh, plan for managing the economy. The government has a very consistent plan for managing the economy. They have to go out and persuade the voting public that the government has the best plan for the future okay. of the economy, the not just the record of achievement to date, because this election is going to be fought. And what happens from now, yeah. more okay. than Roisin, what happened let, let, in let, the past. Let okay. Sorry, Roisin. But look, the government's economic strategy is simply not believable at the moment. Fine Gael went, into their, went into their Ardesh last weekend saying they're going to abolish USC. So they're going to take €5 billion Euro out of the economy and, and, and er, er, erode the tax base. When all of the public services are crying out for investment. Then when he realised that that wasn't going down well with the public, he came out and promised investment in public services. Then on Friday, facilitated by the Irish Independent, he announces billions of euro to be put away for a rainy day. Now that simply doesn't add up. And we're seeing now increasingly yes. commentators, people like Colin McCarthy, Stephen Kinsella, you know, Cliff Taylor, all saying that this is fantasy money that Michael Noonan which is talking is, which about. Is and, and why, and that we, simply, we simply cannot put the economy at risk again I know, I by agree getting with that. involved we in these pre-election the promises. So that's why the government needs to, as soon as possible, publish this economic plan for the future that they have. Yeah. But they're which making these wild promises, which will, Frank. which will answer all of these questions. Okay, let, 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 let's bring David Lee um, just, just before we go to a break, uh, David, I mean, Frank's point about the coalition need to fight this, uh, the election as a government... The problem for Labour is they could get squeezed in that scenario. And I think Brendan Howland, you saw some of the comments he was making uh, last weekend. He's conscious of that, and I'm sure Joan Burton is as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the traditional squeeze of the smaller party in a coalition situation that they become irrelevant, that the, the voters think that, uh, well, sure, look, we're going to get a Fine Gael government anyway if we vote Labour, so why not just 
bypass the middleman and vote straight for Fine Gael and that is the danger for Labour it has to distinguish itself and make it make it a vote, a vote worth casting it is important to say though that just because Fine Gael or anybody else or Brendan Holden or anyone else thinks that Enda Kenny is the inevitable Taoiseach doesn't mean that he is I mean the same could be said of um, Rajoy and Spain and the outcome was chaos. The outcome was that that didn't happen. He is, uh, Rahoy did le- now does lead the largest party but can't form a government and that is the danger for all of this election. If you look at those poll figures it is a real possibility. Okay, if you're just joining us by the way, you're just uh, waking up, um, some sad news coming from um, from from London the uh, the passing of uh, Terry Wogan, one of the great figures of broadcasting as uh, President Michael D. Higgins has described him this morning uh, in a statement. Our newspaper panel are staying with us. We have uh, Rosie Shorthall, David Leach and Frank Flannery. Stay with us on The Sunday Show. Back in a moment. You listen to The Sunday Show, Shane Coleman with you until noon today. We'll have more uh, reaction to the sad passing of Terry Wogan a little later uh, in the programme. Our newspaper, uh, our panel going through the newspapers are still with us. We've got Fine Gael strategist Frank Flannery, uh, the co-leader of the Social Democrats at Roisin Shortall and uh, David Leach of Goal. And um, David, I, I, I should, we should mention something that, you know, we get bogged down in, in stories about elections, but there are there are much more important things going on in the world and more sad stories uh, appearing over the weekend in relation to the the refugee crisis, which is obviously something in your in your current role you're you're very interested in. Sure, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I suppose two hundred and fifty people have died now in January um, in the Aegean, trying to cross from Turkey to Greece. Um, 55,000 people have crossed, have made that journey um, in January, the same number as made it last July. Um, so I suppose the real problem is that uh, this crisis isn't going anywhere, it's only going to go worse, going to get worse and it does, as people have said, pose something of an existential crisis in the European Union. There is a donor conference in London this week. Um, as Angela Merkel said yesterday, it's, it seems incredible. Um, that you know, a European Union of 500 million people can't, in a reasonable and generous and an efficient way, deal with one million refugees, um, where while a country of like Lebanon with five million people is expected to deal with the same number, um, with in in, the, in an efficient and and uh, a stable way. And she she was echoing something Barry Andrews had written in the Irish Times a number of weeks ago when she said that. Um, that being said, the solution is in the countries around uh, Syria. It's in Syria itself where Goal is working. Um, we really need to see some imagination um, in reacting to this crisis. Are you optimistic that that can happen? Um, I think the threat to the European Union is so great that somebody somewhere has to do something and that they ultimately will. I think Angela Merkel's bravery and generosity is incredible. Um, and she's not from the same political side of the house I am from but you know you could not be but admire her bravery and her generosity hopefully that is matched by all the European Union leaders and they come up with some sort of a solution but it does lie in the countries like Turkey with two and a half million refugees Lebanon with a million or more and Jordan that we need to find solutions and they need to be real solutions and very quickly and also solutions within Syria as you know Goal works within Syria we have 400 staff working there um, helping a million people a day there are 13 and a half million people in need of humanitarian assistance inside Syria. We have to give them a reason to stay. Otherwise, the numbers will keep growing and okay. the crisis increasing. Okay. All right. Um, very fair point there. Um, Roisin Shortall, to, to, I suppose, to bring it back home to, to Irish politics, um, will, will you be having a word with your co-leader in the Social Democrats, Stephen Donnelly, telling him he needs to improve his, his record of attending finance committees? Just six out of 27 
committee meetings he's attended apparently. Well it can be difficult for a person to cover the doll and committees and other areas of responsibility. I mean I've often argued Not for that having... Not 25% having, attendance record? Well I've often argued for having committee weeks and then doll weeks so that you can, your, your attention isn't being split between the two but I think more importantly the, well, Michael McGrath was on the bank inquiry he, he was still able to attend 16 of the 27 okay, committee Okay, but, uh, but we meetings. know what this is about you know what this is about is <laughs> Bad attendance is, figures <laughs> Yeah. No, no. what this is about is the fact that Stephen Donnelly drew attention during the week to the fact that Michael Noonan misled the House in terms of the threats from Trichet and, you know, the, the whole question of a bomb going off in Dublin. When, you know, a few months after that actually happened, Stephen Donnelly questioned Michael Noonan directly on that in the doll, and Michael Noonan denied that there were threats. And then it emerged through the banking inquiry that there were very serious threats made. And when Stephen Donnelly called on Michael Noonan to correct the record, and in fact he said that this would be a resigning matter in any other jurisdiction, rather than answering the question, the political uh, spin machine went into overdrive and tried to blacken Stephen Donnelly's name. Yeah, but he, now, he is now, leading now, with the chin, in fairness. They're the games that are being played. And, you know, the fact, the fact that attempt, Michael right? Noonan misled the doll, this is part of a, a pattern. You know, we had the example earlier there last year when Catherine Murphy was asking very probing questions in relation to SiteServe and it was only when she went and put in freedom of information requests that she discovered that Michael Noonan had misled the doll in the answers that he had given. Okay. There had been concerns raised on it and, and Michael Noonan failed to disclose that in the doll. So that's the much more important issue. Okay. Uh, Frank Family, just one quick story. We're, we're just out of time. Um, a story in relation to Dublin Central that it, Noel Gregory has said he will be voting for Christy Burke I think it is number one and uh, Maureen O'Sullivan who would be the Gregory candidate number two That's a, it is an interesting development isn't it? Right. Maureen O'Sullivan is a very distinguished member of the Dáil in my opinion in her own right now she's not depending on any you know, more than you call a Fianna Fáil candidate yeah, a De Valeri yeah. candidate or something not at all um, and uh, Christy Burke is also he was an excellent Lord Mayor of Dublin Good yeah. guy, I know him very well. I, I would have That's thought, quite a battle, I, would, I would have thought Maureen O'Sullivan's uh, chance of re-election. I saw her saying in the paper yesterday, she's not taking anything for granted. She's very wise. That one of the most competitive constituencies in Ireland is that three-seater is there. Pascal, don't know who's safe there. Pascal is there. Pascal's seat was always in difficulties there, and uh, he has put on a tremendous performance as a minister since he became a minister. Uh, indications are. They're all the, the safe seat there. If you want an absolute safe seat, is Mary Lou Macdonald. Yeah. All the other seats are being fought for. And Pascal is in with a chance. Maureen's in with a chance. Christy Burke's in with a chance. Um, the Fianna Fáil Mary Fitzpatrick is in yeah. with a chance. Joe Costello, of course, is in with a chance. Yeah. He's represented that for. Labour think but he is. The Fine Gael yeah. don't. Have but you know, just if, very if you want a good bet, the dark horse in Dublin Central is Gary Gannon, the Social Democrats candidate. Okay, he's got well, he's in with a chance. No election is called before. I, I, this thing about naming who's going to win constituencies, I find slightly irritating, even though I was involved in directing an awful lot of elections. 
everybody is fighting to win okay. and for me or Rojin you know, or anyone else to write somebody off at this stage is both arrogant it's <laughs> insensitive <laughs> and it's also insulting and stupid it's wide open everywhere in every exactly. constituency right. and MVC I think people are looking for a new far. kind of politics oh, and right. that includes uh, that that I'm, good enough. That I'm not sure it's wide open in every constituency but we, le- look, we leave it at that um, my thanks to f- uh, former Fine Gael strategist uh, Frank Flannery uh, Social Democrats co-leader Rosie Shorthall and uh, David Leach of uh, Gold former General Secretary of the Labour Party